Good morning, Keystone. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. We're gonna jump right in. Hebrews 12. And as you turn there, I have to start with a confession. Some of you were here last week when I was service host. I may have gotten a little mouthy about enjoying the good weather because there's state basketball and we're having one more storm of snow coming. My bad. That one's on me. In related news, I will not be doing any more weather predictions from the stage. That is now policy here at Keystone Church. <laughs> so turn with me to Hebrews 12. Look with me at the very first word of the very first verse. Shout it out. What is it? Therefore. This Greek participle is only used one other time in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4a. It could also be translated consequently. It shows that something happens because of something else. I forgot to pick my daughter Abby up from school. Therefore, or consequently, she was late to volleyball practice. Okay, there's a causal relationship that's going on. And so we have this emphatic transition here at the start of chapter 12 that forces us to go back to chapter 11. Now, Pastor Brent tackled chapter 11 awesome last week, the hall of faith, all the people that came before us. And what he showed us through chapter 11 is that faith results in action. Action that we... Um, that is based on the character and promises of God. So there's the mandate that calls us to take action, but we're not left blind about how to do that. Look to verse one again. Therefore, consequently, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, another explicit reference to Hebrews 11, the many examples of faithful men and women that have come before us that have kept the faith, and if you haven't gone online to keystonelife.com and look at our Hebrews resources, it is an awesome list of those men and women, the Old Testament references, what they did. Look over that, study that, pray about that. Because we have generation after generation of faithful witnesses whose lives and action bear testimony to God's faithfulness. We have generations and generations of men and women who are faithful witness as an encouragement to the effectiveness of God's faithfulness. In fact, the chapter 11 ends in verse 39 with all of them were approved through their faith. So we're gonna be challenged today in chapter 12 to be part of that great host of witnesses, to be part of that generation of generation. And we were told about that earlier in Hebrews 6, verse 12. Be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Be imitators of them. But here's the key question, how? Okay, it sounds good. I know I want that. How do I do that? How do we be imitators of those that came before us? How do I take up that mantle of those witnesses across generations and the reliability of God's promises. And the answer is, there's gonna be a race. There's gonna be a race. We're gonna talk a lot about running a race today. It's the foundational metaphor here at the beginning of chapter 12. And in the New Testament, this isn't uncommon. The authors of the New Testament use athletic events and races all the time, contests, to help serve as metaphors for the Christian life. This week, study these passages, 1 Corinthians 9. Galatians 2, 1 Timothy 6, all great examples. But the one that probably comes to you quickest is 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And even here in Hebrews, we've seen allusions of this throughout. Back in chapter 10, we get seven verses about the connection between faith and perseverance. We had a whole chapter 11 about people who persevered in their faith. As Pastor Matt and I were talking about this, it's interesting how the first half of Hebrews was all rest, 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 and now it's run, run, run. That metaphor of what we're doing for life. Now, before we go any further, I have a second confession to make. 
I cannot think of a person on staff at Keystone who is less qualified to speak of running a race than I am. How unqualified am I? Data point number one, the last foot race I ran was last summer against my 17-year-old in Andorra. It was a 100-yard race. Okay, it was 20 yards. I was absolutely in it till the, okay, no, he blew me off the line. I was never close. And to kick it all off, I pulled a hamstring. What person pulls a hamstring in a 20-yard race on a flat path? This guy. Another data point of how unqualified I am. Staff meeting two weeks ago, Kelsey, who did a great job as service host this morning, uh, trained very well in physical therapy, teaching our staff five simple stretching procedures to kind of reduce stress and get things going. Five simple stretches. They last 10 to 12 minutes, okay, they last 10 to 12 seconds each. We did all five together. I had to sit down because I was winded, okay? That's how unqualified I am. So if I ever wanted to tackle a legitimate workout regimen, exercise regimen, if I even want to run a legitimate race, I would need help, I would need guidance about how to do it correctly. Because then when I'm sitting in the office and Pastor Brent or Pastor Todd talk about, I had to write this down, pop their hips correctly in a power clean. I don't know what that is, (laughs) let alone how to do it. But maybe one day I would actually get it. I need help, I need guidance. And that's what Hebrews 12 is gonna do us for our Christian walk, for our Christian life. It's gonna provide us a very practical help and guidance about how to run the race of faith. And so we see in these verses three specific diagnostic questions to help you do that. Three specific diagnostic questions. First, am I even running the correct race? Am I even running the correct race? Second, am I running the race well? And last, am I running toward the proper finish line? Am I running the correct race? And am I running it well? Am I running toward the proper finish line? Let's start with the first one. What race are you running? Faith requires action. Look back to verse one in the middle. Let us run with endurance. Let us run. This concept collectively, Christian followers or followers of Christ have this goal to reach, this race to complete. It's the race of life itself. But what type of race are we running? We're run with endurance, sustained effort, dogged determination. In fact, in the original word Greek, the word agony comes from this same word. I get it now, I know agony. But before we go on with that, think about it. Think of a US Olympic team. You go to the Olympics in Paris in 2024. You have your sprinters that are doing the one, two, 400. You have your middle distance runners that no one watches. And then you have the long distance runners right? 5,000 meters, 10,000 meters, marathon. If the U.S. sprinters walked into Paris and said, just kidding, you're all running the marathon now, how would that go? That would go pretty poorly. They're not trained for that. They're not conditioned for that. They have the wrong equipment. Now, they're going to put in a good faith effort to do that. They're going to try their best, and they'd still get destroyed. So when we're told here in verse 1, don't sprint, run with endurance, it's because we're running a marathon. The race of faith is a marathon, As we looked at Hebrews 11 last week, faith is the response to God and his promises, not our desires and dreams. Then we need to make sure that we're not sprinting toward our desires and dreams. And that's where exactly I found myself for most of my career. Some of you may know, but you may not. I worked uh, 24 years for an investment firm. During our fourth year there, on my fourth year, we became a public company and everything changed. Compensation, the whole environment, And what had happened is that the bonus system, we had salary and bonus, went from like 10% of your salary or 20% of your salary to 300%, 400%. 
all of it subjective, all of it given once a year. And so what used to be fairly known what you were getting, my total compensation, 75% of that was kind of up in the air. And so it's not surprising that it became a flat out fight and brawl every day for everyone racing for the same bonus pool. And there's only one person that could ever kind of manage that. And so you were trying everything you could to make sure that person and their allies knew what you were doing, how you were doing it, because I'm striving toward that one bonus. I have to make it worth it. Every day, every week, every month, a flat, flat out sprint to that one day in March where I'd get paid. Ironically, it was this week when it would happen. So I work the long hours, I take the extra project, I travel when asked, I make sure the right people know what I'm doing. I wanna make sure I'm peaking at the right time. You can't peak too early, they'll forget you. You can't peak too late or they'll forget. And every task, every call, every email, every report was focused through this lens. Every sacrifice I made was justified because I had to get toward that goal or it's not worth it. That's how I provide for my family. As I was talking with Pastor Brent with this one day, he described it as, I walked into work every day with a sword in one hand and a shield in the other, and I was just fighting, defending, fighting, defending, fighting, defending, all day, every day, toward that one goal. Exhausting, fatiguing, stressful, weary. Then that bonus day would come. And there were good years, and there were bad years. And then you know what would happen the very next day? Starts all over again. Day after day, week after week, year after year. It was clearly the most harmful part of my career. The impact on me physically, the impact on my family, the impact on me emotionally, all because I had justified that race I was running. Keystone family, we have to be honest with ourselves today. Many of us might be running the wrong race today. It could be career, it could be financial freedom, it could be children, intimacy, power, sex, social influences. The list is endless but we're waking up every morning, especially in a striver culture like Ankeny, sprinting after the various pursuits of life. Stop sprinting. That's not the right race. God gave us this life. He created us. He started this race for us, but he's given us a marathon to run, all for one purpose, to live our lives in fulfillment of God's intent for us. Run the right race. So we're running this marathon, we're not sprinting, we're focused on endurance, and as we move down the course, there's gonna be some obstacles that are holding us back. You've chosen the right race, but we're still not running to our full best effort. Look back to verse one. What are some of the ways to know if you're running well? Lay aside every hindrance and sin. Okay, first, remove every hindrance. Think of a weight, think of a burden, think of an impediment. The people of Israel in Hebrews, it was a sacrificial system. They kept coming back to that. They kept thinking, okay, Levitical system, repetitive, repetitive, come back, come back. That's what I have to do to run this race. Think of our context today. What activities, what attitudes, what goals, what priorities in your life, listen, that are morally neutral, but are hindering your race? Because there's two things to consider as you think about this. First, determine what's a hindrance in your life is a matter of wisdom. Use the word of God, scripture. Use your community and friends, saints. Use the Holy Spirit to lead you. We have a whole genre of the Bible called wisdom literature to help you with this. Proverbs 1, 1 through 3. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction and righteousness, justice and integrity. 
Let's bring it down one more practical level. Look at your schedule and look at your spending and I know exactly what your priorities are. It's not complicated. So it's a wisdom thing. You're gonna have to think about it. And here's the second part, which is gonna frustrate you to no end. What you identify as a hindrance might not be universally true. Now, what do I mean by that? It might be a hindrance to me. It might not be a hindrance to you. And we don't like that because that inherently says that I'm weak and you're not, and we really hate that. But that's what happens. It might be hindering me. It might not hinder you. Okay, so I try to think of a picture of this. I try to think of a fun picture because this is a matter of wisdom. This is not a matter of sin. We'll get to that in a second. This is a matter of knowing what's right. And this is a picture I kept coming back to. Okay, I have to explain this. One, this is the TV show Friends. The character's name is Joey Tribbiani. No, I'm not dating the TV series because that just dates me. But whenever I thought about this, he's in a conflict with his roommate. And for some other reason, the plot point doesn't matter. He decides to put on every piece of clothing his roommate owns to get back at him or something. When I think of running a marathon with that on, that's what I think of hindrances. How is that gonna go? It's not gonna go well. Your form's gonna be off. You're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna get overheated. And let's not even talk about how you look. Those are hindrances that are helping you or that are stopping you from running the race well. Now, that's fun, but think of a real example. I have, this happened to me a few years ago. I got rid of Facebook and Instagram in all contexts of my social media. Not a commentary on Facebook and Instagram. I couldn't handle it. It made me jealous, it made me envious, it made me angry. Why'd you like mine, not like yours? Who'd you, why didn't you tell me in person? Why did you, oh my goodness, I couldn't get out of it and I wasn't disciplined enough to do it well. Now, if you're fine with that, great. This isn't a matter of morality. This is a matter of what was hindering my faith and that was hindering my faith. And until I sat down and thought about it, I didn't even realize how harmful a hindrance could be. Each of us must honestly lay aside what hinders our faith and remove it, lay it aside. But that's not all we need to remove. We need to look back at the verse, lay aside every hindrance and sin. Sin, so where hindrances, we just talked about, a matter of wisdom, not universal, that is not the case with sin. Always destroys, it always harms. In the context of this passage, the Hebrew people has the persistent unbelief. They couldn't get away from the sacrificial system and put their focus fully on Jesus. And it was that persistent unbelief that was killing them. In a more general sense, any sin, what is sin? In your life, anything, action, attitude, contrary to the will, commands, and standard of God. Some verses to help you with this. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities are separating you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Sin ensnares us, it clings to us, it brings harm, it brings death, it brings destruction. You cannot run a race of faith with consistent repetitive sin in your life. Cannot be done. Lust, greed, evil words, pride, so many to go for. So just as we showed a visual, funny visual of hindrances, let me give you a different visual for sin. Now I know the verse says snares, snares are not as powerful, bear traps. Bear traps, that's the sin in your life. Now let's think about this. Bear traps don't grow in nature. They don't magically appear. They don't fall from the sky. They're put there specifically on purpose by someone. But here's the key. 
The person putting the bear traps in my way on my race of faith is not God, it's not culture, it's not society, it's me. I'm putting them there. And the only thing we can do to run the race of faith well is get rid of them, remove them. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So to run our marathon well, to run our race of faith, remove all excess waste and clothing that are holding us back, remove all those bear traps we have littered our path with, and then focus on one more final thing in these practical parts, early parts of 12, to help us, and that's persevere in discipline. Persevere in discipline. Now we had a foundational metaphor of racing to this first couple of verses of 12. We're now gonna to switch to a foundational analogy of a parent-child relationship, parental discipline. And in fact, the word discipline is used eight times in verses five through 11. Bible hack. If the author repeats something eight times in the verses, they kind of want to focus on it. Eight times it's used here. Now, I have to pause because this word discipline is an extremely difficult term to define in our current context in society. Because the way we define discipline is 100% based on how our human interaction has been with other sinful people. So I want to be clear of some things I'm not talking about before we get in here. What I'm not talking about, some of you grew up in a family situation context where discipline was not used as a way to train up, but used as a weapon to harm. Whether it's out of anger, spite, jealousy, insecurity, cruelty, doesn't matter. That's not discipline, that's called sin. Some of you may have participated in teams, sports teams, work teams, where discipline was not used as a way to train, but as a way to demean or humiliate. That is also not discipline. That is also called sin. What am I talking about? The Greek word here, to Jewish people, to Greek people, to Roman people, it means education and upbringing in a context of instruction for living, morality, living with resolve. Children were valued in that context. They wanted to be loved and nurtured, needed to play, eat well, be clothed adequately. So as you think through this, think of the ideal that's supposed to be happening here. Even in the context, if it's more helpful for you, think of a coach that you've hired to help you with a marathon. You wouldn't get upset with them when they give you ideas of how to do that well. But why do I need to do this? If discipline is so hard to define, it's so kind of can be done wrongly. Why do I need this in my life? Again, think about the marathon. I can't wake up tomorrow and run 26 miles. Ain't gonna happen. I think you could take very good bets on what mile I collapse. That would be kind of fun. Okay? But if you wanted to do that, 12 to 20 weeks of training it would take. You need to move your weekly mileage up to about 50 miles a week. You have to take a specific course, intentional course to get there. Now bring it back to your Christian context, Christian character, Christian virtue. Randy, I wanna be a forgiving person. Great goal, fantastic. You know what that means? That means you're gonna have a lot of opportunities to forgive people, which means you're gonna have a lot of opportunities where you have been wronged. I wanna be a patient person, Randy. Great, that is awesome. You're probably gonna have a lot of opportunities to be impatient. You can't reach a goal without training to get there. I wanna live a life of faith. It means you're gonna have to be trained up in God's discipline of how to do that. So how do I think about that? Look at verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. The 
Quote here is from Proverbs 3. It's part of that wisdom literature I talked about. And Solomon is talking to his son and he first says, don't take discipline, don't take it lightly, don't blow it off, don't think it has no meaning because it does have meaning, but also don't lose heart when it happens. Don't be so down and oppressed by it thinking this, you can't get through it because he provides the clear rationale of why he's doing it in that same verse. Look at verse six. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. God's discipline is not arbitrary, but it's out of genuine relationship. Think of it this way, and this changed the entire focus of how I looked at this passage. To ask God to not discipline me is to ask God to love me less. To ask God not to discipline me is asking God to love me less. Now look at verse seven. Now, when this happens, it's not gonna feel great. Verse seven, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Suffering that you're undergoing in trials has to be understood in the context of discipline that is not a punitive experience to harm you, but an essential part of a parent-child relationship. It's not punitive. It's not there to harm you. In fact, God is doing this because he loves you because you're his children. Think back to chapter 11 last week. Great, I'd love to be there. Hall of faith, awesome job. Do you remember the verse later where it says what happened to him? Murdered, tortured, sawn in half homeless, destitute. Those are suffering situations. They went through that to get to the faith they were going for. And even Jesus himself, Hebrews 5a, although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now again, I'm not saying, hear me, not all suffering, I mean, God does not deliberately will suffering into your life in all situations. That's a whole different destruction or discussion. This isn't an exhaustive examination of the role of evil and suffering in the world. What he's telling you here is, you are my children, this is how I'm gonna deal with you. It's a very specific context what we're talking about. God is disciplining us, his children, he's teaching us, correcting us, transforming us, training us up in right character. And once I realize that he's doing this for my own good, that changes everything. Think of James chapter one, two and three. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. He's doing this because he loves me. It is for my own good. It is for my own benefit. I'm building up endurance. And then God gives us a gift here. He can stop right there. He created me. He can make the rules as he wants. But he gives us a clear benefits of why he's doing this for us. He gives us this hope that's above everything. Look at verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. Holy God is allowing me to share in something that I could never come close to having. He loves me so much, he's training me up, but then he's letting me share in his holiness. Verse 11, another benefit. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. Training and discipline is not enjoyable. It's gonna be painful, but it will yield holiness and righteousness in your life. Those are true rewards. Now, it's, some of you are suffering in trials right now that it's gonna be impossible to see that. Let me hear me, that's fine. It's hard in the depths of the trial. It's hard in the depths of the suffering to hear that. That's why we have to train ourselves up in this truth. Put people around us that can speak truth. Romans 5, 3, and 4. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. When you're in the depths of that suffering, when you're in the depths of the trial, the thing you need is hope. This is how you get there. 
God does not discipline his children to harm, but to bless. So I'm running my marathon of faith. I'm not sprinting. I remove all the hindrances and sin that are weighing me down. I endure the loving discipline from my father to what end? What's my finish line? Look to verse two. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Remember the central point of all of Hebrews here. Jesus is better. We can get distracted, we can get off course, we can lose attention, but our course leads to Jesus. He's better than anything you have before your eyes right now. He's better than any other goal you might have. Why? He's a perfecter, he's the pioneer and founder of our faith. He ran the race, he laid aside every way. He opened access to God through his sacrifice on the cross. He suffered and endured the cross for us and he's the high priest who established our final access to God. He founded this, he authored this and he perfected it. The story of our faith reaches a climax with Jesus. He perfected the way of faith since he reached its end successfully. He took the wrath of our sins on him on the cross. He conquered death and now he sits on the right hand of God. Jesus is our preeminent example of endurance because he looked beyond immediate painful circumstances to the reward that was ahead. That's our call today. He was the ultimate example of obedience. He endured injustice. He's the ultimate example of suffering. He went to the cross. We sometimes forget how humiliating, how debasing that was in that time. They treated Jesus as valueless. He had no value. He's the ultimate example of persevering through hostility and rejection and opposition from sinners. His earthly experience included suffering and pain and injustice and ostracism and temptation. And he endured all of them perfectly because he persevered because he could see beyond it to the future and the future was victory. He was victorious over it all. He leads the way, he clears the way. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 sums it up quite nicely. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but, one, but what is unseen is eternal. And here's the point of all the work and running the right race and removing the hindrances and persevering in discipline is you can have that victory as well. It's not unachievable, it's absolutely achievable through our savior. Now we're gonna talk about some practical ways to do that. And you're gonna hear them and you're gonna think they're simplistic and they're way too simple because they are because that's where foundations are built. But if you can focus on these three things as you run your race of faith, you'll be on the right path. First thing, and when I say these things, I literally want you to name them. You have friends, write it down, go to connection group, however you wanna do this. Name what I'm asking you. Name that trial or suffering that is overwhelming you right now, name it. Trust the perfecter of your faith and endure. Let me be clear, I can't promise you the outcome of the suffering that you're going through. I can't promise that. But what I can promise you is what God has promised you through his word. He loves you. He is treating you as his children. And you will share in his holiness and fruit of righteousness of God himself if you endure through this. That is better, that's a better reward than anything I could promise you name the trial and endure through it. Second, 
Name that activity or priority that is hindering you and get rid of it this week. What's holding you back? Okay, if it's a big thing and it's gonna take more than a week, the timing isn't important. I'm trying to give you a goal. But name it. What is holding you back? What's the 20 pounds of clothes you put on yourself voluntarily that's holding you back in your race of faith? Have you gone to scripture on it? Have you talked to your friends about it? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to help you with it? Comfort, safety, money, kids, ambition. Here's the key. Stop asking what's wrong with it and start asking, is it helping me run the race of faith well? We like to ask, is something wrong? Many things that are hindering you in this context are not wrong things, they're unhelpful things. Start asking how something is helpful to you. Stop asking if it's wrong. Third, name that one sin that is ensnaring you right now, that bear trap that you've put in front of you and repent of it today. Today, that one, I'm absolutely putting a time specific on. Not next week, not next month, repent of it today because it is destroying you. It is harming you. And this isn't where you put the nice church answers here. I should read my Bible more. Yes, you should. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your consistent, repetitive rebellion against God that is the bear trap of your life that you continuously put in front of yourself but want to run well. Repent of that. He will be faithful and just to forgive you. You can't continuously and repeatedly go back to that and expect to run the race well. Now, some of you haven't put your faith in action ever yet because you haven't reconciled yourself with God the Father through Jesus. You haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. He blazed the trail ahead of us to the finish line for everyone. Without Christ, our faith is in vain. Earlier in Hebrews 11.6, now without faith, it's impossible to please God. Reminds us of Ephesians 2.8.9, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not for yourselves, it's God's gift not from works so that anyone could boast. Put your faith in him today. Come see me after service. Come see the pastors. Go to the Welcome Center. We can reconcile you to God today. We're running the race of faith. We have a cloud of witnesses that can testify to its worth. Remove all the hindrances. Repent of the sin. Run with endurance to our Savior, Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father God, as we look into your word here in Hebrews, it's always a challenge to me. I think through how you've worked in my life to remove hindrances, to repent of sin, to run the right race. It's a challenge to all of us, Lord. And I realize there are many here in the context that are suffering today. They're going through a trial that I can't imagine. And it's hard to see the good in the midst of it. It's hard to see the benefit in the middle of our suffering. It's painful, Lord. Father God, I beg you, give those that are in the midst of that trial today endurance in that trial. Lord, to those that are sprinting when they should be running a race of marathon, who are going after the pursuits of life, Lord, pursuits that are temporary, that will fade away, that are a mere shadow of what we should be pursuing. Help them turn their eyes to Jesus. Run a marathon of faith that leads to action. Remove their hindrances. Repent of their sin. We can't do this in our own strength, Lord. We try all the time. We can't do this in our own power. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. Help us have actions of faith, Lord. Help us today. Help us to run our race well. Pray these things in your name.